0: Listeners, thank you so much for joining us again. It is the highlight of my week to come record for you, and I hope that it is the highlight of your week to listen. I just started listening to a new podcast called Cold. It's been out for, I don't know, four years or something, but they just released a new season, and it is so good. It's done here, it's done locally here in Utah, and so KSL is the local news affiliate. And so they're putting out this podcast where they investigate cold cases. And this season they are investigating a lady named Sheree um, Watson. And she goes missing in like 1985 or something. And so um, the journalist is looking into her um, her disappearance. And I got to say, it's looking really bad for one guy who is a um, convicted rapist. He's not a great guy and I don't think he's going to be thrilled with this podcast coming out because he is still alive and he was released in 2020. If you're looking for a great true crime podcast, I think it's one of the best. It's incredibly researched. It's just really, really wonderfully done. Um, Okay, so should we dive in? Oh, I should say before starting this, um, just as a little trigger warning, we are going to be talking about slavery and the history of voodoo. Just be kind to yourself. If you think that this is going to be upsetting, just give us a pass and maybe go check out another episode. Only you can know, So, but fair warning, we're going to be talking about slavery. Not for a long time, but it is important in the context of what we are doing, so hopefully I will be a good resource. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Miss in Movies. I'm Erin, and again, I'm missing my wonderful co-host Sarah. And hopefully she will come back to us someday and we will have a lovely, lovely chat. Thank you listeners for joining us as we dive into our favorite movies and learn about fairies, trolls, monsters, and folklore. This week I thought we would go hardcore monster and we'll talk about zombies. They were very popular about, gosh, what was that, about 10 years ago? Um, They were very popular in the 2010s the walking dead came out and it was so popular that everything, everybody else just started doing zombies or if zombies were popular before that. And the walking dead just, um, got there at a good time, but the two were very inextricably linked and, um, zombies were just all over culture. And I feel like everyone was doing sort of a zombie interpretation or a zombie theme, something, So, zombies are a really interesting monster, right? Because I think they speak to us on a spiritual level. They talk to that part of us that doesn't want to die. Plus, like, zombies are half in this fantasy world, half in the monster world. And zombies also speak to that part of our brain that thinks societal collapse is imminent. And I gotta be honest, with the pandemic and everything, uh, that seems like a fairly good possibility, (laughs) I would say, um, well, I would say that almost in every, I would say that in almost every point in history, they probably think colla- that society is going to collapse. The one exception I would think would be the um, '60s when they were all for the space race and everyone thought that you know life is just going to get, get it better and better and better. And now it just seems like oh, everything's downhill from here. Okay, so now that I've spoken today about Zombies and their place in society. Let's dig into the show, shall we? So, first, we're going to do the campfire tale, and then I will tell you a little bit of the history of zombies. And I wanted to give a big shout out to Monstrum on PBS. They did all the heavy lifting about this subject. They interviewed scholars, they went to Louisiana and interviewed a voodoo chief. They did a lot, a lot of research. Big thank you, PBS. You're the best as always. So let's dive into our campfire story. Have you got your marshmallows, campers? Great. Now let's gather around the fire as I tell you the tale of the zombies. Sixty years ago, there were two siblings named Barbara and Johnny. They were driving on a rural Pennsylvania road one evening when the car began to shake. Johnny got out to fix the car and all of a sudden the radio went out. Barbara screamed as she saw a man approach Johnny, but it was too late. The stranger, wearing a tattered suit, struck Johnny, instantly killing the teenager. Barbara scrambled out of the car and ran as fast as she could. She soon came upon a farmhouse, but when she opened the door, she saw a woman on the floor with bite marks up and down her arm. The woman's husband appeared in the back bedroom and aimed a gun at her. As Barbara began to cry, then told her to get in the cellar and quick. Both hurried down to the cellar, and Barbara was surprised to see a few families down there. They explained that reanimated corpses were roaming the area looking for fresh meat. A vigilante squad has formed, and they're armed with rifles, but the corpses are hard to kill. The terrified people huddled together in the cellar, hoping that soon the vigilantes will appear. Soon, a quiet moaning was heard, and the group realized a bunch of ghouls have found them. The ghouls pawed at the door, rattling the chains that kept the door secure, but the locks held. The group began to cry as they realized that the chains cannot hold them forever. Just as the last chain link was broken and the ghouls busted down the flimsy door, sirens screamed in the distance. They were saved. The End so is this a story that I made up, or did I get it from somewhere? Um, Good question. It is a very condensed version of The Night of the Living Dead, the film that was um, released in 1968. Um, For me, I'm more of a campy person, so if it's Halloween, I'm watching Hocus Pocus. I'm watching um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'm watching Clue. Basically, if Tim Curry is in it, I am watching it. It's not for me, but I can appreciate that it's a big part of horror movie uh, history. So um, I took out a lot of the story, otherwise, we'd be here forever. Um, and there are really a lot of good horror movie classics that feature zombies. There's an H.P. Lovecraft short story that's really good called The Reanimator. And it's a pioneering work. Many of the concepts we use now come from that story. Um, I will say it's very Frankenstein-y. There's like a crazy arrogant doctor who believes he can cheat death. So he creates the zombie from a corpse, but then it kills him, which sounds almost exactly (laughs) like Frankenstein. So anyway, um, as much as I do not enjoy like a very scary zombie movie, I do find the history very interesting. So I will tell you everything that I found. So what, from what I can tell, zombies are about 400 years old and the stories originate from hating. So you might be thinking, oh, that's like voodoo. Um, actually, it's an earlier version. So zombies really are a type of folktale that had new life as a 21st century monster, which of course is basically just a new wave of folktales. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about slavery. I'm very sorry, but here we are. Um, So the Spaniards forcibly enslaved West Africans, and many ended up in Haiti. Um, About 50 to 100 years later, the French controlled one part of the island and forced the slaves to produce sugar, tobacco, spices, and coffee. Something like 90% of the population was enslaved, and the people were from vastly different cultures. So to cope with the horrors of their life, they created a new religion that united many of their different beliefs and experiences, and this was called Vodou not voodoo, voodoo. And a lot of European elements actually ended up in the religion, like from Catholicism and Freemasonry. Like there's a God, like in Catholicism or Christianity, but there is no evil counterpart like Satan. There are sort of angel-like figures who, they're similar to saints in that you would pray to the angel. Although these types of angels are capricious and they can work against you, which I don't think happens in Catholicism. Like if you pray to St. Jude and he's having sort of an off day, he will give you a bad cold. I don't think that really happens, but in Vodou, it definitely does. Um, a core belief uh, of the religion is that a body is essentially flesh manipulated by two spiritual elements that make up the soul. So there's two parts, the tibonage and the Grobanage. The tibonage is the part of the soul that can contact spirits and your memory and all of that. Um, It's essentially the personality part of your soul. And then we have the grobanage. And that's more physical. That's more of like the motor skills of a person. So I could go on about voodoo forever um, and probably still get it wrong because I'm you know, an outsider. But let me just say this. Vodou does not promote a belief in the black and white, good or evil. Morality is based on the situation. And the number one concern of the religion, the number one purpose is to survive. And many of the religion's techniques and practices revolve around doing what, what one needs to do in order to survive. So this makes sense um, considering the harsh, harsh circumstances that the people were in at the time. I don't know how most people would make it out and they did. And one of the ways they did this was relying on this religion. How do zombies figure into all of this? Great question. Um, I just first want to say, first and foremost, that zombies are not something that normally happens. Like This only happens when there is a bad sorcerer. Zombies have become so popular that people sort of think that it's a major fixture of the voodoo religion, and that's just not true. This only happens when there's a bad sorcerer. The vast majority of religious leaders in this religion do not practice this. I just want to make that super, super clear. In the religion, they believe that when a person dies, it takes a while for their soul to move on, and so the body has to be guarded, otherwise the soul might go wandering off. So the malicious practitioner, he has a name and it's called a bokor. Um, Also, I did say I did see an interview with a voodoo priest who practices in Louisiana voodoo. That's his specialty. And he called himself a bokor. And he said that in Haiti, the term is very negative, but that's different here. So like everything else, it just depends on where you live and what you practice. Like these phrases can be good and bad and or indifferent just depending on the community that practices so um I I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast I think I probably have I used to live in Louisiana and um voodoo I of course I lived in a suburb of um I lived in a suburb halfway between um New Orleans and Baton Rouge so there wasn't a lot of voodoo there but if you go to New Orleans there definitely are voodoo shops and Um, I think it's also really popular in South Carolina. It's always going to be a minority, but it is definitely something that happens there. Um, So listeners, if you know of other communities that practice voodoo, love to hear about it. Anyway, the bokor traps part of the soul in a bottle. He traps the free will part. And it was believed that whoever controlled the bottle controlled the body of the person. Um, So that would basically create a zombie. And that person would just be a mindless shell. They had no ability to, to feel pain or tiredness. And they would be completely subservient, which sounds like a major metaphor. Um, the zombie state, the the state of being a zombie, that was definitely inspired by slavery. I've also heard, this, I've also seen the idea that if a person offended a certain god who generally took the deceased to heaven, they could also end up as a zombie forever. Um, So slaves were not scared of zombies, like there were no stories of flesh-eating monsters, but they were terrified of becoming a zombie. Because, of course, you would be. You'd be terrified that you'd be stuck forever as a slave. Even in death, for eternity, you would be in this condition. And I can imagine that would be the scariest thing to imagine in the world. They were so terrified of this that the fear was exploited, Slave drivers on the plantations, who were usually slaves themselves, and sometimes voodoo priests, often used that fear to discourage suicide, which is super, super dark. Um, There is some good news. Um, Haitians eventually overthrew the French, and slavery was outlawed. Um, Of course, slavery still existed in America and I think in England, but we're not going to go and figure that out. Um, We're just going to stay focused on the zombie idea and where it came from so how do zombies come to america Um, america decided like much like earlier colonizers that haiti was much too valuable to be left alone so they tried to colonize it in 1915 and they succeeded for a while by basically killing and enslaving much of the population it was really really bad And the United States was basically acting as an army for a bunch of businesses, which are furthering their interests. It was so bad, you guys. Woodrow Wilson eventually pulls out, like, 20 years later. Better late than never, I guess. It's still bad. Um, I bring this up for a reason. Something like 3,000 Americans were deployed to Haiti. And when they came back home, they all had a million stories about zombies. And of course, they exaggerated all the stories and they basically made up a new thing. There's a writer named W.B. Seabrook, who basically introduced the zombie to American audiences for the first time when he wrote a book. Um, The book is about a narrator who encounters Haitian cults and the zombies they create. And he talks about watching dancing and how uninhibited it is. And so therefore, of course, it's evil. And he basically becomes this place of black magic. Um, And of course, the book does well. And then the media gets a hold of it. So there's several movies in the 30s about men who want women who don't want them. So they make the women into zombies, which is horrifying. What's interesting is that according to a scholar who specializes in this field, it is significant that the people who make zombies and the ones who become zombies are white. This demonstrates that white people can be infected with the Haitian ideas, and therefore the threat is much scarier. Sort of like a virus, uh, uh, um, anybody familiar with that, that can infect anybody of any race or any age or anything doesn't care and can reduce you into a quivering mass on the floor. Scholars also believe that this helped to justify segregation. So maybe not explicitly, but there was definitely a message of you're not safe among Black people. And so it's all these little things in culture, right, that sort of add into the bigger picture of racism. Um, So obviously it's not explicit, but it's those little things like that that add up and they undermine social reform and it's really a shame um there's another book where a painter is employed at a plantation the maid answers the door and her eyes look like bottomless pools of onyx yet they're still flat and dull the painter is hired but he can only stay on the first floor eventually he finds out that the woman of the house aunt abby has turned black corpses into slaves He frees them with the help of the niece by feeding them candy laced with salt. Only then can they return to their graves. And on their way out, the former zombies burn the house down with Aunt Abby inside. Which I am glad. Aunt Abby, you are an asshole and you deserve it. So now we're going to flash forward to the 80s just really quick. um, Where a Harvard trained researcher goes to Haiti to get to the bottom of zombies. He argues that these zombies are actually created by poisons like powder made from a puffer fish. Um, He thought that it was some sort of psychoactive substance. He claimed to have eight samples of the powder, but later those powders were tested and they did not find the ingredient he claimed they had. I will say that that sounds like something people would say about hallucinogens, but um, we know now that hallucinogens are mostly positive for people who take them so I'm not sure I think he just really wanted to do something splashy this researcher and really get his name in the paper and it definitely worked Um, he got so much attention in fact that Wes Craven made a movie about it it was a horror movie with Bill Pullman and uh, he claimed that it showed that voodoo was a real religion Uh, But of course people got the wrong idea. The voodoo chief that I saw on YouTube was basically like this crap makes people fear voodoo without actually understanding it. And it turns me a voodoo priest into a crazy person and doesn't acknowledge my humanity. And so I think that's really important when he says that doesn't acknowledge my humanity because I think that voodoo priests have been so villainized as something demonic and really scary that you forget there's a real person behind that mask. And I have to say, watching this interview with this guy, he was wearing a face mask for COVID protection with a Saints football logo on it. As rational, as not rational as it sounds, um, I sort of expected him to be like an angel dropped straight from heaven, fully formed as an adult, like Ted Danson in The Good Place. I don't really expect him to eat or drink anything, but sort of be interested in the dealings of humans. So when he was wearing a COVID mask with a Saints logo, I thought, oh yeah, you are a guy. You are a regular, regular guy. (laughs) So this is going to be a two-part episode, um, but I want to at least start the conversation on how zombies changed. So we just covered the roots of the story from Haiti, and now we're going into the zombie that we see on screen. So how does all this change? Well, basically, it's one guy named George Romero. And he makes a little movie called Night of the Living Dead. Now, even if you haven't seen it, you've probably heard of it. It's such a massive movie. And I think it has, I mean, they're still making sequels. It's got to have like 10 sequels to it or something. Um, So what Romero does is significant. He takes the folktale version and he reimagines it into a new monster. Romero's zombies are reanimated corpses that crave human flesh. They are slow-moving and can use tools, but they can only be killed by a shot to the head or a heavy blow to the skull. And in this case, they're very far removed now from the original voodoo concept. Um, They don't answer to anyone. They don't have anyone holding their soul in a jar. So they just do whatever they want. And apparently, they're doing is just being governed by their appetites. Like, they just seek human flesh because that's what they want to eat and that's all they care about. And so why are they so different from the Haitian origins? That's because Romero didn't really know anything about zombies. He was inspired by this book called I Am Legend, where people are killed by a virus. He called the monsters in the movie ghouls, while everyone else recognized them as zombies. And Night of the Living Dead is really a product of its time. It was released in 1968, and it features news reports that mimic what people were seeing on their screens. It incorporated realism, so I think that made it even scarier. Um, There's also a really disturbing scene where a young girl eats her mother. And I think that just hits you on a very primal level because it sort of upends the idea of your mother caring for you. Anyway, very, very terrible. Um, But one of the most important aspects of the movie is the racial undertones. So the hero of the movie is Ben. Played by Dwayne Jones, and he's the one that takes charge. Everyone in the movie listens to him and does what he says. He eventually becomes the lone survivor, and then at the end, he's shot by a rescue team who mistakes him for a zombie. So I listened to an interview with a black horror film scholar, and she explained that the rescue team looks essentially like a lynch mob. So Ben is symbolically killed by a lynch mob. And since he was the heart and soul of the movie, the audience is emotionally devastated. This is nineteen sixty eight This is the height of civil unrest. This is when m l k jr. is shot. Romero's got to be making a statement, right? He's got to be making some sort of comment on civil rights, but Romero says no. He says that he cast Mr. Jones because he had the best audition. I would like to think that would be the case, but I don't think that you i don't think Romero could ignore the fact that he was making a black man the hero of his movie when there's so much like civil rights stuff happening. I don't think that you can just totally ignore that. Um Mr. Jones the actor, he said that the description of his character was written as white and a redneck. And in the movie Mr. Jones wears nice clothes. Like he he looks like a professional, maybe a white collar guy. He could be an accountant or a manager. He's just really put together. And that was his direction um Romero really didn't care what he wore or anything. He just wanted to make this movie on the cheap. Um, so Mr. Jones was probably inserting his own idea into it about how blackness should be seen on film. And he was really conscious of that. He knew he was the only black actor. And so he thought it was really important how he looked and came across on the big screen. And he knew that it mattered. So Romero later admits that he probably had some ideas in his head about racial justice, but it just wasn't necessarily a conscious decision. Although it sounds so overt, like a black man taking over and becoming a hero. I mean, that's a specific decision. And the scholar I listened to, she said that the film shows that you will eventually appreciate blackness. And that's what makes Night of the Living Dead so special among a litany of other horror films. So that's where we're going to end for this week. And next week we will pick it back up again with Romero's Dawn of the Living Dead. And then we're going to go right into the 21st century. So this shall be pretty interesting. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you guys. Um, If you'd like to talk to us, you can tweet at us over at Movies or email us at missinmovies at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your ideas for future movies. Or future subjects, future um, future subjects that we could talk about. Or if I made some glaring mistakes, you could please you can let me know there. As always, if you want to support the show, we've got fun stuff over on Patreon. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter for more updates or what we're doing next. Um, I put my links in the show notes. Now, most importantly, smash that subscribe button and give us a five star review. We would sure appreciate it. All right. Goodbye, campers. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.